Hello and welcome to the Thriving on Fat podcast. My name is Megan and I'll be your host. Today we'll be moving away from mindset and using the next three episodes to discuss inflammation. This talk will start with the dietary causes of inflammation, then we'll go into why stress and sleep also play a role in causing inflammation. I'm spending three episodes on inflammation because chronic inflammation and in turn oxidative stress is at the root cause for many diseases we deal with today. Now that you know where we'll be going, let's talk diet. Diet is merely the food we subsist on and it is commonly broken up into carbohydrates, protein, and fat. There are essential proteins and essential fats that we need in our body, however, we do not make them. They must be consumed. There are nine essential amino acids which are found in proteins. There are two types of essential fatty acids, which are fats. These essential fats and proteins are found in foods, for example, meat, dairy, nuts, produce, and so on. Carbohydrates do not contain any essential components. However, they do contain minerals and we consume them along with most foods, but the amount and type vary from item to item. Right now, I want to specifically talk about fat Yes, it's the big bad F word. Many people believe that eating fat makes us fat. However, that's not the case. The ingredient in our diet that is most likely to cause us to become fat is actually excess carbohydrates and sugar. This can happen when we fill our body with more fuel than it actually needs, which is pretty easy to do, especially when these carbs and sugars come in the form of burgers, fries, and soda. When the liver sugar stores are maxed out, the excess is turned into storage for a rainy day. The stored sugar is better known as triglycerides. These triglycerides can lead to increased risk for heart disease, not the fat that we eat. Triglycerides also tend to be stored in adipose fat cells, which are normally around the stomach, hips, butt, and breasts. The only way to use these triglycerides is if we lower the amount of sugar and carbohydrates we ingest This will allow our body to utilize fat as fuel. Now, to be fair, this is a very simplistic 5,000 foot approach on why we get fat. If you want a very in-depth look at why we get fat and what to do about it, there's an awesome book by Gary Taubes entitled How We Get Fat and What to Do About It. I've also reviewed Gary Taubes' book on my blog. Another effect of excess sugar is increased inflammation. Inflammation seems to be part of the root cause for things like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, neurological diseases, arthritis, just to name a few. It is also important to note that chronic inflammation seems to be an underlying factor in things like autoimmune disease, inflammatory bowel disease, and even in some autism cases. Like I mentioned before, sleep and stress do play a role in inflammation which is why we'll be spending the next two episodes talking about those two topics. I know this is a lot to unpack, but this is only a crash course, and we will be spending more time on many of these ideas in the future. I also have a few blog posts about these topics, and I will be linking to them in the show notes. Above, I talked a little bit about fat. Not the fat we eat, but how fat ends up on our body. Now, we'll be talking about dietary fat. To reiterate, the fat we eat is not harmful to us, as long as it comes in the form of fish, meat, including red meat, fruit, veggies, fruit oils, such as coconut, avocado, and quality olive oil, butter, and full fat dairy or nuts. Quality sources of fat are safe as long as they are not coupled 
with a high carbohydrate or sugar meal. That's where the problem lies, because when fat and sugar are mixed together, that is a recipe for excess fat accumulation. This is because, like I mentioned before, our body uses what it can to top off sugar stores or glucose stores in the body, and the rest goes into long-term storage in the form of triglycerides. If we want to break this vicious cycle, we should limit our carb and sugar intake so our bodies can utilize fat instead of just storing it. This process is called fat or keto adaptation. Our body can either burn sugar or fat for fuel. If we use carbs, we have to refuel more often, small, frequent meals throughout the day. In contrast, if we use fat for energy, we can go longer times between refueling, mostly eating two to three big meals a day. Many people equate these two energy sources to a wood-burning stove, grill, or campfire. The analogy goes, carbs would be like paper or twigs. They burn hot and fast. Fat would be like coals or logs. They burn consistent and last a long time. Another common analogy would be to look at food energy in terms of the money in your wallet and a bank account. Glucose energy is your change. You always have a little floating around, and I don't know about you, but I like to use it as soon as I can. Fat energy are more like dollar bills. Generally, we have a reserve in our wallet that we refill as we get low. For example, I like to keep around 50 to $100 in my wallet at any given time. Our bank accounts are the triglycerides and excess fat we are storing. We only go to the ATM when we are low in our wallet to pull from our fat stores or bank account. When we limit carbs to our individual carb tolerance level, we become more successful at losing and keeping weight off. I'll be talking more about <clears throat> I'll be talking more about finding your carb tolerance level in upcoming blog posts and podcasts. For now, however, limiting carbs will look a little bit different for each person. For those who are insulin sensitive, they can eat more carbohydrates than somebody who is insulin resistant. That's a new term. So what is insulin? Insulin is a hormone that helps us regulate our blood sugar levels because too much blood sugar can be toxic to the system. Ideally, we take a small amount of insulin to deal with a given amount of carbohydrates so our blood sugar stays normalized. However, if we're insulin resistant, our blood sugar levels tend to rise too high after a meal, causing them to crash to abnormally low levels, leaving us hangry. If you need an example of this, then look no further than the you're not you and you're hungry commercials. Their suggestion is to grab for a candy bar. However, my suggestion would be to grab a piece of bacon, cheese, maybe an avocado. These foods leave you feeling full without a hangry crash later. For a concrete example of what those macros look like for an insulin, for an insulin resistant individual, it would roughly be between 25 and 50 grams of carb, carbohydrates per day. In an insulin-sensitive individual, it would be closer to about 50 to 150 grams per day. Most of the other macros would come from fat and then to a lesser extent, protein. Again, in the show notes, I'll give you a brief diagram as to what that looks like. A cheap and easy way to see if you might be insulin resistant, your waist to height ratio. You take your waist in inches divided by your height in inches. If you are under 0.5, you're most likely not insulin resistant. However, if you are over 0.5, there's a good chance that you are. Taking my waist to height ratio, for example, my waist is 28 inches and I weigh, and my height is 66 inches. If I do 28 divided by 66, I end up with 0.42, so less than 0.5. 
Now, when I say waist, what I mean is the circumference around your belly button. If you want a few other ways to see if you're insulin resistant, there'll be a link to a short quiz you can take in the show notes to see where you may lay on the insulin, res on the insulin resistance spectrum. Please remember, however, that this isn't medical advice. It is merely a compilation of generally accepted symptoms that point to insulin resistance. To wrap up today, we talked about the role an inflammatory diet plays in the body. Also, we mentioned a few diseases that have inflammatory underpinnings. We also spoke about the three macronutrients, carbs, proteins, and fat. We took a very quick look at how fat in our body is not the cause for becoming fat, but it is the sugar and carbohydrates. I gave you a brief list of great sources of dietary fat. We followed that up with a few examples of how our bodies can utilize glucose and fat as energy. I also outlined why we often get hangry when we use glucose energy. Then we talked about two sets of guidelines for carbohydrates, depending upon if you are a carb tolerant or insulin resistant individual. If you are not certain, I give you a quick tool to allow you to see if you may be insulin resistant. We've covered a lot of ground today. And if you're still tuned in, thank you. I tried to walk the nice edge of not going too far into the weeds as to lose those who are just finding this information, but still not oversimplifying things. If there is an overriding feature to this lifestyle and to an extent this paradigm shift, it is that there is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Trust me, if, there if it was, that would make things so much easier. However, there are guidelines to be sure, but the end product for each of us may be markedly different. This is not a failing on anyone's part, but it is just the way things are. We're all variable. Hopefully I haven't bored you too much with this today, because next time we'll be talking about sleep and how it can either make us or break us, no matter how well our diet and everything is dialed in. Before I let you go, if you like what you have heard, you can get in contact with me through the, the site thrivingonfat.com. You can find the show notes at thrivingonfat.com forward slash podcast. You can also interact with me on Instagram where I post about the blog, motivational quotes, and what my keto diet looks like. I am also on Twitter. Both of those are at thrivingonfat. And of course, please subscribe to and rate the podcast on iTunes or your podcast catcher of choice. Any feedback is appreciated. Thank you.